Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and this is Wait What, the second solo cast. Uh, as you may recall, last week Graham McMillan recorded our first solo cast, uh, in which, uh, out of a certain degree of joie de vivre and um, guilt, uh, he sat down and recorded a uh, nifty little um, solo cast. Uh, answering the questions that have been hanging over our head like a, um, I don't know, you can't really have a sword of Damocles if it's, you know, if there's not edge. It's not like the questions were edgy. I don't know. You can you can see why I don't do this on my own right off the bat. This is the sort of thing I should really be doing with a partner. Um, and so the question may be begged, hey, Jeff, why are you doing this now by yourself if, instead of with Graham? Well, <clears throat> we um, were supposed to talk yesterday, very briefly, but my internet continued to punk out with such horrific um, rapidity. Uh, rapidity? Anyway, also, it did it a lot, is what I'm trying to say. So, in order, instead of us, uh, Graham and I, talking and being recorded, it was just going to be a short little thing talking about stuff like my trip to New York and uh, what was up in comics news. Um, instead, what ended up happening was me swearing a lot and us, he and I, just sort of getting on the phone and talking briefly. Uh, and in the back of my head, I was thinking, well, Graham did a soul cast. I was a little envious with which the skill and panache uh, that he brought to doing it. How about, you know, I was thinking maybe I could try and do something similar and then, I don't know, some enterprising soul could cut it up so that the two of us um, could sound like we were having a conversation when we weren't, which God knows, who knows, maybe that's uh, how people refer to our podcast all the time, but not, hopefully, hopefully not as much as, uh, as I sometimes fear. Anyway, uh, so this is me um, talking by myself just for a brief period of time. Um, probably even briefer once we uh, edit out all my ums, ers, and long, lengthy pauses in which I try and uh, collect my brain. Because unfortunately, um, maybe people have noticed this on the podcast, I tend to work a little bit better bouncing off of somebody, I think. Being able to uh, to talk with Graham uh, is really a delight, you know. I mean, not just for me and you know, my friendship with Graham, although that's a big chunk of it, but I definitely feel that being able to talk with him allows me to sort of uh, keep myself a little more on track as opposed to what I'm doing right now, just as sort of staring at the bend of my um, wall, uh, sort of slightly concave thing that uh, I'm not really sure. It'll probably mean that we'll have to repaint something soon. I don't I don't even like thinking about it. Anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, right. Like, my ability to stay on topic. Not always like the... Um, uh, yeah, one could say I did not really level up that skill nearly as much as I should have, you know? Um, so talking with someone, especially someone as eloquent, articulate, and knowledgeable as Graham, sort of allows me to sort of uh, get in there, say a few things, um, maybe even say many things, but uh, obsessively over and over again, but then not really have a chance to end up digressing endlessly and falling down this cubbyhole. I mean, God knows that is something that we do a lot on the podcast, but uh, it is, I think, actually one of the things that I like the most about it, but I certainly like it more when it's sort of 
you know, a controlled freefall, I guess, if you will, um, as opposed to this just sort of uh, tumbling end over end, you know, with my scream sort of dopplering off into the distance, you know, that we've got going on here. Um, so I was in New York uh, for 10 days, and it was kind of interesting, I have to say. In many ways, it was a trip that did not especially go well. You know, we started off with uh, being booted out of our seats, my wife and I, the seats that uh, she'd reserved five months in advance when we booked it. And, uh, you know, things just kind of went on from there. I mean, we had a we had a good apartment. It was really kind of... It was dusty. You know, the guy, like any was like sort of the perfect Brooklyn resident, I think, in that his tastes were absolutely immaculate, you know? He had a stack of books on the floor, and they were all, like, top-notch. It wasn't just one Roberto Bolano book, it was, like, five Roberto Bolano books, and, uh, you know, uh, J.M. Ketsy, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, uh, big old thick book on Tarkowski, um, several maps by Tufty, who's not a dude who I necessarily know, but uh, Edie uh, and her friend Ryan happen to know uh, quite well in that uh, not only did he teach at their school, I think, but he's this master of information design. So he's kind of like the forefather of the modern infographic, I suppose, and this guy had some maps of those, had some maps, like old maps of... Anyway, it was just all... It was All of his stuff was top-notch, like, modernist furniture, but, you know, Brooklyn, man, I gotta tell you, we've been there a couple of times, I adore the place, but wow, the buildings that people live in are crap-tastic, I can only imagine how much the guy whose apartment we were staying in normally pays for monthly rent for this one bedroom, but holy mother of god, like, they did this thing with a shower, which I don't know if I've ever, like, you know, like you get into a shower, like if you've ever been in a, a bathtub shower type sort of situation, shower head's either at one end of the tub or it's uh, at the other. It's never in the middle, you know, until this shower. Like, I don't know what the landlord was thinking or the building designer or whomever. I mean, there's a weird post-apocalyptic feel to Brooklyn. I don't know if anyone else uh, ever gets that sort of thing. But like, you know, when... um Man, that, that really kind of awful Will Smith remake of Omega Man, you know, I Am Legend, which was, you know, ostensibly it was based by the on the original, just absolutely brilliant Richard Matheson novel, uh, I Am Legend, but they kind of more or less utterly shitted it up. Um, you know, the, there was that thing where Will Smith is, like, running through New York and everything's kind of, like, overgrown, you know? Because um, he's, like, the last dude on Earth except for the... Um, you know, shrieky albino things that just, I don't know, was there like a shrieky albino phase in like film, American film there for a while? It sort of felt like there was, like, I don't know, not that I saw like Da Vinci Code, but I know there was an albino in that, and I don't know, I mean, my God, what was that Chevy Chase film with the albino? Uh, And Goldie Hawn, foul play, foul play. They had an albino in it, not a real albino, also not really germane to the discussion because it wasn't the 21st century, but I have to say for those people who are assembling a list of scary albino movies, I, I would say that the suspense parts of um, Foul Play, pretty good, pretty good, very weird movie, you know, in the sense of it opens up with that sort of long, it's almost like a Hitchcock-esque um, 
tracking shot of Goldie Hawn like driving through the the coastline of Mendocino and um Barry Manilow's Ready to Take a Chance Again is playing over the soundtrack, which sort of strikes me as some weird, like, anti-Hitchcock, you know what I mean? Like, I really think that if you want to, like, assemble the perfect, you know, uh, boner-killing Hitchcock montage, you just gotta, like, layer in some Barry Manilow to, like, I don't know, The Birds or uh, Psycho. Like, I don't even know what song you would put in Psycho by Barry Manilow's, like... Copacabana. Oh no, I gotta admit, Copacabana is my go-to, really Barry Manilow song in just about any occasion. Um, but yeah, ready to take a chance again. Not really so great. Anyway, albinos, Will Smith. You can sort of start to see why it's really important that I have Graham to talk to here. Um, and so this weird sort of post-apocalyptic vibe that that Brooklyn gives off, uh, similar to what was going on in the Will Smith movie, and that there's greenery everywhere, like it's you know fecund, like maybe overly fecund, if you if you see where I'm getting at, uh, just green growth like shooting through everything, and the sidewalks are all kind of buckled in that sort of charming like second world, you know, like not first world, not third world, not Kirby's fourth world, unfortunately, because that would be just way too awesome. And in fact, let's face it, Commandy, the last boy in Brooklyn would be kind of an awesome little miniseries. In case anyone wants to pitch that, please just go with it and uh, go with God. Um, But the buildings are, they are, it's like they survived some apocalypse that I wasn't paying attention to. Maybe it was just the 70s, I don't know, you know, before they kicked out all the bums in New York, I guess. Everybody just ran through and totally devastated all the buildings in Brooklyn. And then afterwards, like, uh, enterprising, like, you know to go with the commandy thing, sort of like wolf-faced landlords kind of came in and with their helps of their brothers, the, uh, I don't know, bee-faced electricians and, and what have you, like just cobbled together. I mean, to keep in contrast, the apartment that I live in, which I dearly love, uh, is over a hundred years old. It actually survived the San Francisco earthquake. One of the fond little possessions that I have on my bookshelves is actually a book where you open it up and there's a photo of the fire sweeping through San Francisco that was taken from the top of Bernal Hill. And if you look in the corner, you can you can not only see my apartment building, the, the really I think of it is Edie's apartment building because she lived here and I was just sort of mooched my way uh, in, into the situation, um, you know, by dint of meeting her and wooing her and uh, all that sort of um, situations. Anyway, you can like see from the top of Bernal Hill into the apartment window and um, fortunately what I would give to actually have the skills to actually like Photoshop a little thing of me or me and Edie, it doesn't really matter. The main thing is, is when people pick up the book and I can like point out the you know like here here's the fire in the background and this is our building and this is our window and they're like oh my god that's amazing and wait a minute and they look in and they see us kind of like smiling with that sort of little demon smile sort of thing that you know again just seems like such a necessity for horror movies or at least it did back in the 70s i mean i don't know you know it's like i'm really behind on my horror movies i keep meaning to go see all of this like 
handheld camera stuff. Like all there's like been 19 paranormal entity movies. I I haven't even seen one. I don't even think it's called paranormal entity, but you know what I'm talking about. Handheld cameras in a haunted house. As Count Floyd used to say from SCTV, it's like, oh, and you know how scary home security can be. You know, it's, he actually would say it a little bit better than that. That's really the worst Count Floyd imitation ever. Anyway, the shower that I was in, it was, the shower head was neither at, at either end, but absolutely 100% in the middle of the tub, like high up on the wall. So the water kind of like dribbled down on you. Um, and I mean, I, you had to close the shower curtain. I mean, it was literally in the center of the tub on a wall and spraying out. So if you did not close the shower curtain, you just sprayed the opposite wall of the bathroom. It was insane. Who puts a shower head in the shortest distant tub distance? I just, I don't know. Is that like, I, don't know. I remember seeing like some, uh, picture of like a shower that like Brad Pitt had designed for him and Jennifer Aniston and you know because Brad Pitt's apparently into architecture and like does that kind of thing and I gotta tell you that shower looks I don't know it alternately like great and awful like I mean opulent but just like too opulent you know and there was just something about it that was kind of perfect really for Brad Pitt and uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston I think in that the shower was like, I mean, it really was, it's a shower. If you do not want to be next to the person that you were with, go to Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston's shower because it seemed like it was like 40 foot wide. It had benches, you know, like marble benches, and you could just like hold up this shower th- head, you know, and sort of spray yourself down. And, you know, I mean, even if you like turn that shower head across the way, you wouldn't even really hit the other person at the other bench. I can just see sort of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston like sitting in that. Uh, shower and like Brad Pitt's probably like high and eating like a big like you know just Haagen-Dazs ice cream right out of the tub or something you know and it's sort of just running down his beard but the shower's running he doesn't care and he's like I don't know he's got like his smartphone in like a Ziploc bag so he can like text people or I don't know he's like watching football it's weird Brad Pitt he always seems like he really seems like this weird not like a regular guy but in fact somebody who's trying to convince us that he is indeed a regular guy oh man my phone is ringing i can't actually take this call um i'll probably have to edit this part out but you know anyway uh brooklyn not a great trip uh i mean it was great seeing people it was the apartment itself the best thing about the apartment after complaining about the dirt and the shower and the guy's impeccable taste, which of course is a you know completely absurd, stupid thing to complain about, is the fact that he had Apple TV and HBO Go. So Edie and I um, basically came for ten days to see the greatest city on earth, uh, and spent the majority of our time trying to carve out uh, the space to watch uh, season three of Game of Thrones, which I have to say it was almost worth it. I mean, you know, kind of pathetic in the sense that it's such an amazingly fantastic city. Wow, my fucking phone. Can you can you hear this? I can't, you know, I never turn on the sound on these things and I totally understand why now because this is this is just going to keep going until I I don't know, it's fine. I shouldn't put the phone halfway across the room, I guess, when I talk on these podcasts, but I sort of assume that there would be 
nobody here to really uh, join me. Um, yeah, so the greatest city on earth. There we are, uh, actually watching uh, Game of Thrones. At least when we could, that was kind of great, frankly. And some of the food was good. Like we went to Momofuku Noodle Bar, and oh my god, that is totally worth doing if you like sort of really amazingly well put together food. I mean, you know, in a way, not cheap. But I'll be honest, I just had brunch down the street. And I had, like, this open-faced uh, fried egg sandwich. It said that on the menu, and I don't know about you, but at least to me, when someone says that there's going to be a sandwich, even open-faced, what does that mean to you? Like, to me, and this is this is where I'm apparently getting particular, it means two pieces of bread. So, like, when this open-faced uh, fried egg sandwich that I uh, paid for, that I paid brunch prices for, shows up, and it's just one piece of toast. Like, you know, it's a big piece of toast, but it's just one piece. With, like, I don't know, you know, these uh, onions that they, I don't know, grayered the shit out of, and, uh, you know, scallions and fried egg and a little bit of tomato l- lettuce on the side. I was like... This was the worst part. I was like, where's the other piece of bread? You know? I don't know. I just haven't had good luck with that restaurant. Momofuku Noodle Bar, on the other hand, they their shrimp buns made me cry. They were, honest to God, that good. Like, we went in there, and I was actually kind of disappointed because I was hoping as, you know, a dude who is a pescatarian, um, that they would be able to get some sort of ramen with a broth that's like, you know, would have fish in it but you know or vegetarian but no they've got a vegetarian uh ramen without the broth and then the broth i'm told is you know like so densely made from the bones of you know innumerable uh pork uh creatures i guess they call them pigs on our planet i don't know that was news to me but that was something i looked up i'm like these pork creatures turns out they're called pigs um, so, so many pig bones in the broth that it would not be the sort of thing that was attemptable by someone like me. However, the shrimp buns, oh my god, because they're really more like shrimp tacos. They're like, they are that sort of fancy Dan New York deconstructed thing. So the shrimp bun is really a deconstructed, amazingly fantastic shrimp taco type number that is, oh, that was definitely one of the highlights that that almost held up to season three of Game of Thrones. Um, so, you know, it's amazing. I thought I was only going to speak for 20 minutes. And, and one of the things that I was going to do was talk about uh, Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction and Chip uh, Zdarsky, because it was actually the only comic book that I ended up reading while I was in New York. I didn't uh, bring my iPad with me, um, which is pretty much how I read the majority of my comics. And despite the fact that I went to three comic book shops? I guess four. I went to Forbidden Planet, St. Mark's Comics, and of course, of course, I went to Bergen Street Comics, um, where I actually saw all in the space of one day, uh, Tucker Stone and Matt Seneca and uh, Alex Cott dropped by. Um, It was kind of like a little mini Comic-Con being held in this store where Tucker Stone did his best to not kick us out for basically just standing around talking, you know? Um, that's That makes it sound like he actually wasn't happy to see us. I don't think that that's, that's true, I think, of course. Of course, Matt Seneca worked there, so it was, it was Matt and Tucker were working there. Alex came by to pick up books with uh, his friend, 
who was a Vertigo editor whose name I cannot remember. This is going to be like... Anyway, really nice guy, though. And I was there. I picked up a, a, a first book of the Copra Compendium, which is probably like the third or fourth copy that I've bought now. Um, to give to uh, my friend Ren, who I was seeing the next day for dinner. I thought he would really, really enjoy it. Uh, and I also picked up, I want to say, The Hip-Hop Family Treasury by Ed, Ed Picor, Piscor. Why don't I have these things near me? It's not like I'm being chained in like a basement. I'm right here at my desk, and of course it's over there in the kitchen table, which I was reading 20, 30 minutes ago before I had this brilliant idea of like, oh, hey, I know, I'll go down the street and see if maybe I can find a sandwich um, with only one piece of bread that served to me and charged like 12 bucks for. Like, how awesome would that be? Let me just put this comic side and forget about it until 20 minutes into my recording. Anyway, so I want to say I only read Sex Criminals was the only thing that I read while I was in New York, but in fact, while stuck on the subway, uh, not the only comic that I bought, but the only comic that uh, I read, I should say. But I realized I actually reread the first two issues of Copra when I was Compendium when I was taking the um, it's the A train up north. No, that's not quite right. I guess it was the E train. Anyway, uh, to meet my friend Ren for dinner, I the subway rides are long, so I read it. No, oh my God, that's such a good book. It still holds up. I keep wanting Graham to you know get it and i think he still has not which i don't know i keep meaning to corner him and find out if this means that he doesn't actually like he read it but he didn't like it or it wasn't his thing you know like he's a little more grabs sensible he's smart he's diplomatic you know and you know charismatic uh which sort of makes it gives us sort of that you know good cop bad cop kind of thing going on since i've got very few of those uh terms um they're they're very much in short supply uh, on my uh, uh, CV, I guess. So, um, Copra Compendium, great. Uh, Sex Criminals, which I ended up reading. Now, you have to keep in mind, I was reading it on the flight back from New York to San Francisco, and uh, I had my... I read it on my laptop, which is something that I don't normally do... Um, read comics on the old laptop that is i definitely used to reading them digitally but um on the again on the ipad but with the exception of uh the private eye which is an amazingly good read uh, on something like a mac where you can do the full screen sort of action i haven't had a lot of experience reading comics digitally uh they're kind of kind of interesting it's sort of there's a lot of trends in comics that I almost feel like makes more sense when you look at them digitally, like uh, widescreen panels, uh, for example, make a lot of sense to me when you've just got like one big page, essentially, that you're sort of rolling down, or even if it's like side by side. Oh no, it's, it's a very odd thing. Uh, so I read Sex Criminals in part because I was so goddamn bored on this flight back. I just, I don't know. I was basically, I was incredibly stressed out because, in fact, Edie ended up breaking her foot. Like, two days before we were supposed to leave, she, like, banged her, like, baby toe right into the side of this fucking modernist furniture in this Brooklyn apartment um, and broke it, like, just like that you know um so traveling we had to get her like new shoes which meant like maneuvering ourselves down to the target on flatbush uh and that just took i mean it's amazing how many people actually new york 
much better as far as I'm concerned than San Francisco in terms of giving people like appropriate like body space. Maybe it's because of the, you know, long, you know, the old urban legend that someone will actually kill you uh, or something. But like when you walk down the street, like people are really good at moving away and aside. Uh, whereas like San Francisco, man, there's so many people with attitude or maybe I'm just getting old and in, invisible colored, you know, with my, I don't know, way colored skin and my ghastly beard or something. But like you pretty much will not have people walk out of your way like maybe they'll sort of maybe part but like the amount of like shoulder brushing I've done in San Francisco is kind of ridiculous in a way you know it's just it's my pet peeve I guess as opposed to New York where people like you start walking down the street people are gonna jump to one side or another or I don't know maybe both sides you know um I could have it could happen right so so actually getting Edie down to the target to get her a shoe while all these people are milling about took a little bit because like I said really good in New York but you still got like kids out of school and you're in a mall and people are like cutting corners and uh, it was just as bad as the airport let me tell you there was like a like coming back like Edie's got this like shoe and we made the mistake of like walking to like exit between like the baggage carousel and where people were waiting for their bags like I don't know why there was like this big gap of like three or four feet mainly because most of the people I guess were on the other side of the carousel this one dude like leaps forward for his bag then stops turn around changes his mind and walks back right in front of us you know so it was just it was one of those situations where um it's interesting, you know, I, the the number of resentments that I store as myself as a person in the in the world, um, like it's it's like a weird it, it that stuff gets transmorgified. I think when you're with somebody you know that you love and you want to protect, like your wife, like I'm like. I didn't really resent that guy from doing it, but I did. I was just like, okay, you must die. Like it was just some sort of crazy. Like let me, I'll just you know judo chop your trachea you know and uh then when you fall to the ground um we you know we'll steer you around actually now that i think about it if you fall to the ground he'd probably be twitching and kicking his legs and i don't know you know this is the sort of scenario that really makes you wonder um uh, if it's a good idea that I read so many comic books growing up. The scenario of me talking on this headset, talking about judo chopping a perfect stranger in the trachea just because he stepped in front of my wife who has a broken toe and almost hit her in her damaged foot. That scenario, not the, no wait, the scenario, yeah, yeah, yeah. The scenario of me talking about the scenario is actually the creepy scenario. The scenario that's happening that I was talking about executing, not that I really would have executed it. Who are we really kidding? You know, that itself a little unsightly but this thing here which is me talking about it uh might not um bode too well uh, i'm not going to exactly be like a hey kids comics poster child anytime soon especially not with this crazy man beard anyway um so i read sex criminals on the on the flight back just as a way to sort of stop to try to turn off my brain from worrying about my wife who of course didn't want me worrying about her at all and of course is is pretty much an impressively um self-sustained individual i suppose i, I know that's not the cry word self-sufficient great 
look forward to being old and senile considering I'm now confusing self-sustained with self-sufficient and I'm not even um, uh, 28 <coughs> by which I mean I guess 47 um, so sex criminals one of the things that's interesting about it is it's on like sort of a four tiered grid if you know what I'm saying like and I, I thought that that uh, actually helps make the story move along pretty briskly, I think. Um, lots of tiny panels. I mean, I haven't gone back and counted it, but I would assume there's a lot of, you know, where the page count easily, easily cruises up above nine panels and moves towards like 12 or 13. So it feels like it covers a lot of ground. One of the things that was interesting to me, however, was in the course of reading it, um, and like I said, all of that other stuff that I threw in were qualifiers for a reason, was I read about, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, nine pages in um, before I realized that my computer was cutting off the bottom tier, you know? Uh, and I thought that led to some really interesting storytelling choices on the part of Fraction and Zdarsky in that I was like, huh, hey, this kind of moves with kind of an elliptical speed because you'll have like a thing where, you know, she's more or less uh, sitting in the classroom by herself uh, after finding out that her, her father's been shot. And then the next page, she's like, you know, in mid trick or treat, you know, or uh, I don't know, four or five pages down the line, some of the stuff where she's like looking inside the bed at the mystery of her orgasm. And then suddenly she's on the next page. And I don't even really know what, what happened on that particular page transition. But anyway, uh, it wasn't weirdly enough until the characters, the two main characters meet um, at this party scene, like maybe about three quarters of the way through the book uh, that, that I realized like, wow, either Fraction really you know, truncated the shit out of that opening speech from Lolita or dot, dot, dot. Um, and that's when I figured out my mistake. So one of the things that was kind of interesting about that was A, although I thought that that, the pages that I'd already read were noticeably smoother, I still kind of found myself thinking, but you know, they sort of worked after all, for the most part, like, not 100%, but sometimes I really think, you know, comic books really need a Brian Eno, you know? They need, like, well, you know, I, of course, adore Eno's work as a creator, to be honest. Like, his <coughs> Here Come the Warm Jets, for example, is, like, one of those albums that I've been listening to ever since. God help me, in my first year of college, which means that I've been listening to it for pretty close to 30 years now. Um, and there's a few others of his of his rock stuff and, a few, and his ambient albums. But of course, I feel like most of us know him as like the Windows 95 tone guy, but even more especially as a producer, right? You know, and sometimes I feel like uh, as much as someone like uh, Fraction... Um, supposedly is putting in a lot of a lot of brain power into this whole um uh, making of the comic i kind of feel like in a way he'd be better served if he had someone who like brian you know like he just submitted his script to some crazy long hair who's going to draw a deck of cards and tell him to i don't know take out the letter e you know in everything or like the mistake that he wanted to, you know that he's most afraid of is has to become the centerpiece of the issue or something you know because it was uh I, sex criminals wasn't on the one hand 
put together well and it sort of you know moves through things sort of briskly uh, jauntily i don't know i'm trapped in like an adverb pole here i'll never actually get what those things should be modified it was brisk it was a brisk pace is what i'm trying to say uh and it read well enough and um, I suppose it was mostly charming, but it was really odd to me. I mean, and admittedly, this was the sort of thing that I missed because I think it pops up in a fourth tier panel towards the end of the page, where after uh, she has an orgasm, I think it's when she loses sex, uh, loses sex, when she loses her sex vinity, as we refer to it around the house, uh, when she loses her virginity and time stops for her and she goes and it's at a party, and she goes downstairs and sees everyone sort of in mid-party for, you know, and she she was like, uh, the, the narrative caption is something like, um, it, it talks about the, how she had hoped that it would be something, the losing of her virginity, that would make her feel less alone, you know, and, and I suppose that's one of the things that I find really interesting about sex criminals, is, is that I, I thought that there was, not enough of that like I really did sort of miss it in my first reading of course but even going back it sort of dusted off very briefly you know and uh, it's just sort of passed over it's mentioned which is good I gotta give them points for that but there is something that's kind of um you know maybe because he's got so many things that he's trying to set up in the first issue fraction um I don't feel like like how do I put it like there's Susie's loneliness and her isolation and sex starts to seem like an escape from that when she first figures out what she's doing um, but the I think because the rest rest of the issue is trying to set up so many little pieces it's sort of you don't get the sense that a person is isolated and alone you know what I mean and I think that's the part that I, of course I really found sort of appealing about the idea of sex criminals of course is, is the idea that these are two people who um, both stop time with their orgasms you know and that they manage to meet in fact I guess I had sort of assumed that um, from reading the book that they you know like in true wonder twin power fashion really didn't stop time until they had sex together uh, clearly there's like a different like the nature of the story sort of changes you know what I mean like I, I sort of like the I think there's a perfectly good and valid idea to to be explored in the idea that in trying to escape you know that sex depending on how you do it just ends up actually making you feel sort of more alone like even as it does this magical time stoppery thing that um that, that it just ends up heightening the sort of isolation that you feel and I don't know you know it's one of those things where it's like it's in there I mean God knows you can point to the specific scene in sex criminals where that is literally shown to be the case but it doesn't um I just uh, it it seems it's just one little piece in all the other dominoes that are being set up and so consequently uh, the thing that struck me about sex criminals is is that it was a it seemed to have a lack of, 
I guess, feeling that I could really connect with, I suppose, you know, I mean, or alternately, if you have it where you have two ordinary people who are, you know, who have had sex and, and then they discover the ability to stop time by having sex with one another, I think that's kind of a really sort of delightful metaphor for sexual awakening. But, um, you know, maybe this really would have helped me if I had read Jesus, is it the Fermata by Nicholson Baker? Uh, I keep wanting to say the Mezzanine, but that's because the Mezzanine and you and I are actually the two Nicholson Baker books that I've actually read. Although, Jesus Christ, that guy can write. But I never got around to reading Vox or the Fermata. In fact, isn't i hoping it's the Fermata. It'd be terrible if it turned out that it was actually called something else. But that's the one that like Neil Gaiman did like a script adaptation for, right? Like, I don't know, it's kind of... I don't know. For some reason, that always like sticks in the back of my mind that that you know you've got Gaiman like doing an adaptation of like a Neil Nicholson Baker novel, and then you've got Sex Criminals, which really, let's face it, like people having sex and stopping time, uh, probably seems pretty fermata indebted, unless you know Nicholson Baker himself like cribbed it for some you know obscure '70s movie that that you know, Fraction himself is, is uh, professed to love and, you know, um, it devoted many a Tumblr post to. I don't know. I suppose it's entirely possible. Holy fucking shit. I cannot believe how long this episode is already. Okay, so let me wrap this up. <laughs> which, which is to say, I don't really know if I got to my point about sex criminals. I enjoyed it, but I didn't really emotionally connect to it. And isn't that weird? I mean, maybe that's just me, I think. But there's something about it. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 when I was in New York and I was actually comic book shopping with, with my friend, we were talking uh, about a bunch of other books that um, he should consider reading. Um, and... We were. I was trying to get the measure of his response to a certain uh, comic book writer um, to see if he'd be interested in reading the book. And and he he, my friend Ren's problem with the comic book writer. What he basically turned out was he's like he was too glib. Like he found the glibness of this author like kind of annoying or off-putting, I should say, uh, not actually annoying. And sometimes I do feel like. Uh, God help him, the guy cannot get a break sometimes, especially in this podcast, it seems. But Fraction's glibness, which on the one hand is, you know, sort of his most impressive trait, uh, also I feel sometimes comes in to block him. Like, I'll be curious to see where Sex Criminals goes, but based on the first issue, um, you know, which has that absolutely tremendous two-page sequence where uh, Rachel ends up basically screwing with Susie's brain by talking about all these like screwed up sex positions that don't actually uh, exist those those were that was a great sequence and it was definitely the sequence in which I laughed like the loudest and I don't know I sort of feel like maybe it should have gone all that way or maybe it should have gone much less that way. I don't know because again, as everything gets set up and put in place for sex criminals, um, at the end of the first issue, I I felt like I had a lot of breakdowns as to like all the 
all the whys were in place, like why we, why they were going to end up robbing banks, uh, you know, why they ended up stopping time with their sex organs. Okay, maybe it wasn't the whys. Anyway, it felt like all the pieces were in place, but perhaps the assembly of them kind of really didn't do much to me. For me, I don't know. Maybe as as things go on, that'll that'll change. I mean, certainly. Um, complaining that that a, a fraction Zdarsky book is funny seems to me like somebody is you know fundamentally missing the point, <laughs> like that's what it's supposed to be. But I did find myself thinking that in attempting to hit so many different things, you know, like talking about um, sexuality from a woman's point of view, for example, and covering all these different. Um, uh, ideas, whether that's the idea of sex as uh, an activity that's supposed to bring us together, but actually can can uh, end up making us just feel more alone and sad. I mean, I think that's it. There just wasn't enough... Like, we were being t- shown a lot of alone and sad and told about alone and sad, but somehow I didn't end up feeling it. I don't know, is that the comedy thing? Or is that just a just a problem with me. I don't know. All I know is that the first two issues of Copra fucking move. Like, oh my god, the fight scenes in that are amazing. Which probably is why it makes it so much easier for us to talk about than, you know, a, an issue in which trans-temporal fornication takes center stage. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> I can't believe I spent like 35 minutes talking to you guys about you know, Brooklyn, and I probably could have condensed my message about sex criminals, which is, like, it's a pretty looking book, but I didn't really uh, connect to it emotionally. Like, I could have, like, pushed it down to just that, you know? And then I think Graham could have... Well, one of the things that would have been great would have been, like, around the time that I confessed that I didn't hadn't read the Fermata, he would have been like, oh, Jeff, 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 you've got to read the... He, he, Graham always for some reason when I admit to not liking to not having experienced something which is a thing that um is you know it's 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 a little bit I'm a little insecure about Graham always rejoins it with this like oh like it really underlines you have not read this you should read this it is the greatest thing oh Jeff go out and get it now you know um it totally would have uh totally would have been a nice little uh, thing for us to start bouncing uh, after instead of me just um, I don't know, talking about Neil Gaiman? Why is that in there? I don't know. Coming up on the next Wait What solo cast, Jeff talks more crap about sexually attractive comic book writers with very attractive wives. Great. I hope you all can tune in. Anyway, thank you for your indulgence if you did manage to make your way all the way through this. I, of course, have no idea why I did this to myself because now I'm going to have to edit this. Um, down and who can really tell which parts of it are worth keeping in or which parts aren't but if you did enjoy it I'm so glad if you didn't but you're still going to listen to us next week please do because Graham's going to be back I'll be talking with him hopefully whatever wacky things we have with technical difficulties won't take up much time and we'll be able to spend the majority of the time talking about comic books um, you know with his sensible side and my um, discursive less sensible side um, thanks for listening and we'll talk again we'll talk again